Welcome everyone to the Grainmaker Wrestling Podcast, a Prairie Proud Wrestling Podcast covering everything from Winnipeg to worldwide. My name is Blair Pacheco. I hope you're doing well. Hope you're having a great day, evening, weekend, whenever it is you might be sitting down to listen to this. Now, there has always been sort of a relationship with, you know, wrestling, wrestling fans and, you know, say comic book characters, the comic universe, all that sort of thing. The the amount of times I've had people on here to talk about wrestling and, you know, they also have a love for, you know, Marvel movies, comics, all that sort of thing. Growing up with it. This is the first time I think I've ever had the chance to interview someone who has a connection to the cinematic universe of comic books. So joining me this week, Brady Malibu. Brady, how are things going? I'm doing good, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, by all means. I, I was glad when you reached out and finally getting the chance to sit down and talk to you. Uh, I'm very happy about it. And I wanted to ask, to kick things off, your first recollection of wrestling, where where that sits and just the sort of time frame of all of that. Yeah, great question, man. I, I think, I mean, pretty much as far back as I can remember. So my dad, I'm from Alberta originally, and mm-hmm. my dad you know, he used to go to stampede wrestling, uh, every Friday night and he okay. went with, with his dad. And so when I was a kid, I, I grew up just watching wrestling with my dad, you know, and, uh, <laughs> uh, just been a hardcore fan since childhood. So I, I collected wrestling action figures and all the wrestling magazines and we go to, you know, WWF every time it came to town and I have never really looked back. So mm-hmm. always, always been a wrestling fan. The connection between Western Canada, like current wrestlers and the Stampede era is always something that always amazes me because that was something that, you know, one of my earliest memories was seeing, you know, like Bruce Hart and Bad Company and all of that and Stampede and like you only got like a little snippet of it being here in Winnipeg, but like the fascination always lived on for me. Yeah, it's cool. And it's, it's cool that it's such a sort of cultural, like really important thing, especially in Alberta and in Calgary. And Mm -hmm. I I worked for the, you know, relaunched version of Stampede Mm -hmm. Wrestling in the kind of uh, mid, you know, 2000s or whatever, 2008, nine, I can't, I'm not, I'm never, I'm really terrible with years. So somewhere (laughs) around, I don't know, 2005, I don't know, somewhere in that timeframe. And Bruce, of course, was running the company. Uh, Ross, Ross would do some, some of the out of town shows as well, but I would wrestle every Friday at the Ogden Legion for Stampede Wrestling. And uh, I, I was in the main event of, I, I thought it, it, it is either the last or one of the two last Stampede Wrestling shows uh, that were ever promoted. Um, uh, we did a, a 60 minute four tag team Ironman match. Uh, was the main event with like the last Stampede show ever, and I was in that match. So mm-hmm. I think until until they relaunch it again, I, I think I'm I'm in that last match. I mean, fingers crossed that you know one Crazy. day we do see another reincarnation of Stampede. Well, I guess you uh, could say like I, I know the that uh, Brett's kids are doing like dungeon wrestling yes. in Calgary, which sounds like it's going really well. I've got a lot of friends that wrestle there, and mm-hmm. it sounds awesome. I guess that's probably the the new incarnation and maybe it's maybe that's time to kind of call it something different. I think dungeon wrestling, what they're doing looks really cool. So Mm -hmm. that was, uh, that was something that popped up in my instant thought was the, 
you know, relationship to Stampede because I think they run at the pavilion, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. that Stampede may have before, um, or I'm just making that up. But yeah, okay, so I'm not completely out to lunch, but the it, it's one of those things that it, it's something that always resonates with me, and even the later incarnations, like because I think there is one late 90s, if I'm not mistaken, and then the reboot as well that you were a part of. So they've always right. had the the attempts to come back. So. Yeah fingers crossed but yeah it's a famous name i think people are always trying to kind of resurrect it but maybe maybe it's time that dungeon wrestling kind of takes the torch and goes with it Mm -hmm. now i mean growing up you're always a fan you eventually get into it we will talk about this but what else were you into growing up like what were your hobbies what sort of things that kind of attracted your interests i would say that wrestling absolutely took most of my attention (laughs) like but I did I I mean I played sports growing up I played Mm -hmm. soccer for eight years played football for four years uh you know dabbled in some other sports those would be the main ones but I also started wrestling really young so um I know you said we dive into this but I might as well dive in now because it is it is quite an early part of my life so my dad like I said was a big wrestling fan Mm -hmm. and he went to college with a guy named Robert O'Keefe who had a short-lived company in Edmonton called CCW Canadian Championship Wrestling. Okay. I think it, it only ran for a year or two. And he, uh, so, so they remained good friends because they were wrestling fans through, you know, college. And he bought a wrestling ring and started a wrestling school at Edmonton. And so because my dad was kind of involved uh, with, with Robert, he knew him, uh, he would bring me down and, you know, I was allowed to like come and watch the wrestling training sometimes. And, you know, I'd go to the shows and I would like, sweep the ring and I would sell tickets at the front door and I would like set up the ring before. And I was like 14 years old, right? 13, 14 years old. And so I was involved in wrestling, pro wrestling really young. And at the time I had a group of three other friends, uh, including a a guy named Bobby Sharp, who you probably Mm -hmm. know from wrestling and he still wrestles today. And the the four of us were good friends and and just obsessed with wrestling. We'd get together every weekend and watch wrestling. We'd go to all the shows and so eventually Rob let us start getting in on the Saturday mornings and, you know, rolling around and just doing some basics and stuff. And I think, you know, a couple of us were pretty athletic. We played sports growing up and everything, and we were starting to pick it up. And, uh, and then CCW ended up closing and Monster Pro Wrestling opened up in Edmonton. So we shifted over there and we were training at the Monster Pro Wrestling School. And there was, so then I was 15 years old. And there was a Monster Pro show in February, and it was like a snowstorm, and there was a carload of guys that was supposed to come from Winnipeg to the show, and because of the snowstorm, they could not make it to the show. So they told us like two days before the show, hey, uh, you three young guys, we were all like 15, we're going to put you guys in a triple threat uh, on the show. And Mm -hmm. and then I didn't have wrestling, like I had knee pads and shoes, but. I had like a pair of like red basketball shorts and like a black tank top that I wrestled my first match. I think I got gear, I got gear for my second match, but the first match because yeah. we weren't we weren't expecting to. Mm-hmm. I figured I'm, I'm not gonna have a match till I'm like 16 or something, right? But it, it, we had a triple threat and it went really went over really well. And they formed this under 18 division, mm-hmm. uh, which lasted for a few years at Monster Pro Wrestling, and that was sort of my first few years in the wrestling business was doing that. But we at the time, like I was obsessively watching. Uh, a lot of Japanese wrestling and Mexican wrestling. I was ordering VHS tapes from highspots.com and uh, watching some really unique stuff, like a lot of really unique chain wrestling and stuff like that. So we were incorporating that. And so it was really interesting because a lot of the guys on the show were much bigger and doing more sort of heavyweight style. 
And then you had these little under 18 guys doing all this weird, like Japanese wrestling. I'm actually wearing an FMW Hayabusa shirt right now. Um, but uh, so, yeah, so that, that was my intro into wrestling was super young. So a lot of my teen years through high school, like I was already in the wrestling business, mm-hmm. right? Every weekend I was like going to wrestling shows. There was, I missed parts of school through high school because I was wrestling in Northern BC or in Manitoba or on little tours and stuff. So that took up a lot of my teenage years. Mm-hmm. It's funny because when I, you know, always researched the guests beforehand, I was checking out your Instagram page and I actually saw like that Hayabusa shirt and I was like, wow, I had no idea that, you know, yeah. you were a fan of Japanese wrestling. Cause for me, it was yeah. something I, I got into so much later on. So like to go be able to go back and watch it now, it's almost like a treasure chest. There's so many gems in there. So like, I was like, this is interesting. But Well, the nineties, it was like, you didn't really have access to it because no. you, we didn't have YouTube or anything like that. There was no streaming services. So what happened was, is uh, I remember this vividly. I, I was at West Edmonton Mall and I went to, there was this giant HMV, the old video store. Mm-hmm. And they had a little wrestling section. And I uh, found, they had just released for the first time in Canada, like the, the VHS tapes of ECW. And yes. there was a pay-per-view, Heat Wave. I can't remember if it was Heat Wave 97 or Heat Wave 98, but there was a match with Rob Van Dam and Sabu against uh, 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 Hakushi, Shin- Shinsake, and Hayabusa in a tag yes. team. And it just blew me away. I was like, oh my God, like, I've never seen wrestling like this. Like mm-hmm. This is so incredible and so different. And that, that just started my obsession with like, you know, I'm begging my dad to like, let me use his credit card to like buy VHS tapes on high spots, which like in the late nineties was like, you don't, you don't give your credit card out on the internet. You know Not I mean? at all. <laughs> so, you know, and that was where my obsession with Japanese wrestling started and it's never really, I still watch new Japan pro wrestling to this day. And yeah. I remember in the magazines, you always see the ads for, you know, tapes that you could order and buy, you know, stuff that for my age, I'd never be able to do it. But the first time I ever got uh, an RF video best of compilation, it was Chris Jericho. And you go back and you're watching, you know, these matches, like there's ECW fan cam with Sabu and stuff like that. And getting one of the Hardys wrestling in Omega and like this, seeing that totally opened up my mind to all the different stuff that was out there that, now we're very privileged that you can go oh, up sure. on IWTV, you can go up on YouTube, and there's a plethora of stuff. About but back then, you think that there's just the major promotions, and that's it. So it was a really eye-opening time yeah. then. If, if we had the streaming services like we have today when I was a kid, like I would have just never left home at all. Mm-hmm. Like I was that that that's how obsessed with professional wrestling I was. I just would have watched it all day, every day, right? Like just now, it's like so easy to get access to all this stuff. Like you said, like you can watch your local indies on a streaming service, right? It's yeah. like kind of amazing because you can see a lot of these talents. You know, you hear about a talent, you just hear their name on the internet or whatever, and you can go watch a bunch of their matches now, or you would not have had that ability to do that mm-hmm. when, when I was growing up before we even recorded it's a little uh, i won't go too far into this but like i was watching matches and i'm like okay i'll watch eddie kingston shingo from the g1 i hadn't watched it yet so i'm like okay put that on then it was like well it's something else so i watched it was a cage match from ecw i think like heat wave 97 with where rick rude showed up and then i'm like i still got time oh here's titus alexander and uh, judas icarus from defy so it's like three different matches but it's like it's all at your fingertips. So it's just one of those things that kind of makes me smile with yeah, the cool. accessibility. Yeah. 
Um, so, I mean, you were wrestling at Monster Pro. You, you were there for quite a while. And I know you eventually got trained at Storm Wrestling as well, correct? That's correct. Yeah. So when I was 18, uh, I figured, like, so I was living in Edmonton or outside Edmonton. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted to start just more like advancing my wrestling career, right? So I moved to Calgary. I had met Lance a couple times and moved to Calgary and I started training at the, the Storm Wrestling Academy. So at the time, uh, he had his uh, beginner class in the morning and then we had more of a sort of uh, advanced class in the afternoons that uh, a group of us would attend. And we, yeah, I got to train. I trained with Lance for years and years uh, off and on. Uh, helped him with some of his younger students as well. I would go sometimes in the morning and help with the young kids. Trained with Lance forever. I still talk to Lance almost every day. He's mm-hmm. like a, a father figure to me and many of the other, uh, you know, misfit children that went to his wrestling school. <laughs> so uh, he's super, super important in my life and, and, and has, has, you know, been a big impact on me. But yeah, the Storm Wrestling Academy was awesome. And then after that, I, like, so I trained there for a, a couple of years and then I went down to Los Angeles and I trained with Rocky Romero, Carl Anderson and TJ Perkins. They were running a, a wrestling camp down there and trained there for a few months as well. Wow. The, yeah. just the minds that you've been able to learn from sure. and just like yeah. pick these little things from, I mean, it, it's one of those things where it's not just one style of wrestling or one wrestler you're getting, you know, like the, the thoughts and the training from so many different avenues of, yeah. uh, of wrestling. That's a, a really incredible thing. Yeah, big time. And I did a TV show years later, 2010, 2011, uh, with Rowdy Roddy Piper, World of Hurt, mm-hmm. which some other other uh, Canadian talents were on as well. I got to pick his brain for a couple of weeks, which was fantastic, like just learning more of the character stuff from him. Uh, and then I also worked quite a bit, sort of, especially in the you know 2010s to 2015 kind of time. I did a lot of uh, extra work for WWE, and I, I got to, uh, very fortunate, got to spend a lot of time with William Regal as well. Uh, so really picking his brain and a lot of the stuff that I do today is influenced by a lot of the things that he taught me along the way, just little things like that. Um, and then of course, like being moving into acting and stuff as well has really influenced my work too. So I think it's like just all those little things together. I think it's important for young wrestlers to branch out. And I really love when I see young wrestlers like traveling and learning from other people, because I think if you just learn from one person or one school even if it's a great school you're you're going to be limited in your like it's it's important to see different perspectives because wrestling is mm-hmm. quite subjective right so if you can learn from a lot of people and pick what you like and form your own way of doing it i think that's that's really interesting i, I wanted to ask about world of herd because at the time i remember hearing about it but it was one of those things it not very accessible on tv for myself but it was something you heard about that was going on so like what was the overall experience like? Cause that was that more designed as like uh, almost like a tough enough esque show or the uh, sort of the synopsis of it. Yeah. It was weird because it, it was kind of like in the middle, like it. So on the one hand, it was like a little bit like tough enough in the sense mm-hmm. that like, we actually did train with Roddy Piper for like two straight weeks every day, you know, and we're having matches and he's critiquing and we're, you know, he's giving us his feedback and like, it was, I mean, we weren't, we, we weren't getting like eliminated, like on tough enough, but it was like a real, we actually really did train with him for weeks. Okay. And he, you know, they had the cameras there, but at the same time, then they would film all of these like little backstage vignettes and skits and stuff. Cause they needed sort of storylines for the show. Mm-hmm. And you know, all of the skits and stuff were uh, quite like scripted is not the right word because we weren't handed a script, but you know, like I was in character for the whole show. 
Mm -hmm. I wasn't, I wasn't Brady Roberts. I was Brady Malibu the whole time. And I was often, you know, improving these scenes and so were the other guys uh, and girls. Um, But, you know, it was like, it's like a reality show, except you're like fully in character the whole time. So it's sort of a weird hybrid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it was, I mean, it's a cool experience. I mean, I think like really a great experience. I mean, getting to work with Roddy and then also like that show kind of changed the trajectory of my life because the director of that show pulled me aside uh, as did Roddy and both said like, you, you should really get into film and TV because I was, you know, playing such a character on this show. And I think that they, they really saw like, Hey, you know, I mean, this was like 2011, right? So like, I'm, I'm a pretty small guy. I'm like, I'm five, eight, I'm like 165 pounds. You know, my chances of making it to WWE in 2011 when they were not hiring small people were, were not high, even though mm-hmm. I was getting seen by them a lot. I, I, my realistic chances of getting a job there were not very high. And mm-hmm. Roddy even said to me, I think it might even be on the show. He, he said to me, he's like, Vince wouldn't know what to do with you is what he said. Mm-hmm. So it, they, they encouraged me to get into film, which I did. And the director helped me kind of get an agent and stuff. And so it actually kind of changed the course of my life. And then right after that, I moved to Vancouver because I was really getting into film and TV and doing a lot of movies and stuff. And I, I figured I need to get, get out to the coast, which is where a lot of the films are getting made. I mean, it- was there any indication that getting into film or acting was something that you wanted to do before you were a part of world of hurt? So when I was a kid, uh, so my parents were both theater actors. So Mm -hmm. I did theater growing up and I actually, uh, would audition for like commercials and stuff like that. Okay. But then I kind of gotten out of it. I hadn't really done any theater since, you know, high school kind of time. So it wasn't really something I'd really considered, but also it was because when you grow up in Alberta, like, you're yeah I just I thought the idea of like being a movie star or something is like it's not really something for people like me from a small town in Alberta right mm-hmm. um but then when you do a tv show and the director is saying like hey this is like a this is realistic for you and then I started auditioning and I actually ended up you know booking some roles and then I'm suddenly I'm doing movies and it's like oh wow like maybe I could do this for a living or at least part of my living. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and now I have for more than 10 years and I formed a film company in Vancouver and, you know, we're super busy out here making movies and like, so, but I would have never thought without the encouragement of those people uh, and Lance as well. And some others, like I would never have thought Paul Lazenby is another one that really encouraged me to get into the business. And I just would have always thought like, it's not something that's realistic for me. Mm-hmm. When you like when you made the transition to Vancouver, I mean, you were still wrestling at the time. Yeah. Um, what was that like for yourself? Because like to me, like growing up, like I, I mean, I barely left Winnipeg. You know, like I lived in a small town outside of here, but it was only an hour away. That it was for two years. I could still come back anytime I want. But you're packing up. You're leaving Alberta, going to another province altogether. What's going through your mind at that time? Yeah, I think I was pretty laser focused. So when I was 18, I left, I left home and I moved to Calgary and I lived with, I think we had five of us wrestlers living in a two bedroom basement suite in in like the worst part of Calgary. And so I kind of threw myself to the wolves right there. I left my family and, you know, my friends and everything behind in in, uh, Sherwood Park where I lived to live in Calgary. And so I did that. And then I went, like I was saying, I went down to LA. I was down there for three months Mm -hmm. Uh, living and training at a, a school down there. And so I had kind of, I was sort of used to like packing my bags and okay. leaving. 
And because I was wrestling so much at that time, like you're on the road every weekend, you know, you're staying in different hotels, you're sleeping in your car. You're... So I was like kind of used to like a bit of a nomadic lifestyle. So I moved to Vancouver uh, with my girlfriend, who's now my wife. And um, I was kind of like stoked. I was like mm-hmm. ready for a new chapter, right? So I was still wrestling. I still, I was still very involved in wrestling. But I was also ready to like, hey, let's make a real go of this movie industry thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, b- before we touch on the acting and everything, I wanted yeah. to ask about uh, your trip to Japan. Sure. Um, yeah. be- because for myself, the thought of any like the thought of anyone heading over there, like it completely blew my mind until you realized you look into it and you see like, yeah, this is stuff that people have been doing for many years, d- like dating back till you know the seventies or whatever, even before that. But like to just pack up you know you're doing an excursion out there i mean what's that all like embracing the culture taking everything in and i mean working for it was tajiri's promotion out there someone who i've always been a fan of so just the the entire experience yeah it was amazing and and also like when i was when i was like 15 training at monster pro wrestling there was a newspaper in edmonton that did a story on me because they were like it's young kid wrestling right Mm -hmm. and they asked me they said what is your dream with all of this and even when i was 15 i knew like man i am very small like i i don't think wwe is really a realistic goal for me necessarily because if you think about like the year 2001 2002 right like it's like scott steiner and triple h and uh, these yeah. guys wrestling so uh, i said in this interview in the newspaper i said my dream is to wrestle in japan um mm-hmm. and i, I want to wrestle like with the ultimo dragon in japan is what i said in this mm-hmm. interview in this newspaper and I did not wrestle Ultimo Dragon, but he was on that tour with us, which was super cool. Um, and so I got to wrestle. Yeah, so I was there for a week doing a tour with with Smash Wrestling, which is Tajiri's company. I was put in touch with Tajiri through a guy named Andy Anderson, who's a, yep. who was also a, a coach of mine at Monster Pro Wrestling. Just a fantastic wrestler and really, I don't know, like I want to say he's underrated. I don't even know if he's underrated. I think everyone thinks he's great, but... He's just uh, what a nice guy and just like fantastic wrestler. So he had recommended me to them and Tajiri really liked my work and brought me over there. And then I was supposed to go back uh, for, cause they, they had rebranded as a company called wrestling new classic WNC. And uh, I was supposed to go back. They had uh, booked me like they, you know, I had my opponent set up and all this stuff. And then that, that company ended up folding actually. So okay. I didn't go back. Um, and then that's when I was sort of moving to Vancouver and uh, more focused on WWE at the time and stuff. But yeah, I mean, wrestling in Japan was amazing. Like, I actually went back to Japan on vacation in a few weeks, but I just formed a partnership with Boom, which I'm sure we can talk all about Boom wrestling when we get there. But <laughs> I just formed a partnership with Boom uh, with a Japanese company through Tajiri because he's uh, affiliated with a new company in Japan. Um, and so we're, we're sort of forming a friendship between this group. So I've stayed really good friends with Tajiri. I sent him my stuff, uh, uh, just kind of a lot of mutual respect with, with me and him. When I originally started doing my research about you and I'm looking up, you know, I always go to cage match. That's a, a standard. Just, you can kind of see, you know, where someone has wrestled different promotions and things like that. And then I saw, you know, you had stopped in about 2015 ish wrestling around then. I think it was maybe a little bit later, but yeah, it was okay. probably around, 16 17 okay there was a good like four or five years that i was not active uh, in the independent scene 
so you took a break from wrestling and then yeah. you you started making that transition more to acting um you did a trailer for a, a nightwing trailer that blew up were you ever expecting the response that you got from that I was not, no. So I had partnered with a director because I wanted to, so I was, like I said, I was auditioning and I was doing some films and stuff, mm -hmm. but I wanted to, I really wanted to do some more action stuff. And I felt like because of my background in wrestling, I could do kind of like action comedy stuff. And so I wanted to shoot like a little short film to sort of portray how I wanted people to see me in the industry, what kind of roles I would like to play. Okay. And this director that I had partnered with, he wanted to sh do a short film that could show some of the visual effects and stuff that he was capable of doing. So we decided to partner and we tossed around a few different ideas and, and we, we came up with this night with thing. And then the trailer blew up and then we ended up shooting four or five, uh, five episodes, sorry, of kind of a web series. There's four with one director and then we did a sequel later with another director uh, and same thing, you know, it's hundreds of thousands of hits and I was getting invited to comic book conventions and people are like recognizing me in the street as playing Nightwing because at that time, Nightwing, you know, now there's a Titans TV show, which actually yeah. uh, DC had me audition for based on okay. my web series, which is really cool. But at that time, Nightwing had never been done in live action. So, you know, I think there was probably a couple like Robin fan films and stuff online, but at that time it was like the first time Nightwing had been done and he was a super popular character. And so I think we just hit it at the right time. And I think the quality was really good for the time. Mm -hmm. There's definitely things I would do different now looking back on it. But I think that what we produced at that time was pretty fantastic. And so it just kind of blew up. It was kind of amazing. And that helped me get opportunities for other stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, let's talk about some of those other things because yep. I mean, looking at your IMDB page, I mean, you've really been all over the place doing, you know, yep. different, you know, films, TV shows, all that sort of things. And I mean, what have been some of the things that have really stood out to you that you've been able to uh, take part in? Yeah. So like I've done some small roles on like some bigger shows, Batwoman, Arrow, that stuff was really cool. Lucifer, that was really cool. But some of the stuff that I'm really most proud of is like some of the stuff that we've produced. So like we, uh, because of the success of Nightwing, I was invited to pitch a couple projects to a program called TELUS Originals, which does not exist anymore. It was a short-lived program for sort of intermediate filmmakers that had had some success with other projects and they wanted to do some scripted stuff that was a little bit bigger budget than some of the other stuff they'd done. So they brought me in to, to pitch for that and I pitched them a show called Paper Champions, which is a comedy sitcom set in the world of a failing wrestling company mm -hmm. uh so very much kind of loosely loosely inspired on you know the backstage antics of local you know of wrestling companies and we got funded to shoot that we shot that in calgary that is on um a streaming service uh called tubi and it's on amazon prime in the u.s okay. as well it's also on the telus like originals uh on their streaming service there as well so that's a lot of fun. That's seven episodes. They're about 12 minutes each. So short form content. Uh, and then that, you know, again, sort of led to the next thing. And the next thing we ended up pitching a show called escaping Denver to a bunch of places that yeah. was picked up as a fiction podcast with chorus. It's chorus entertainment's first scripted podcast. And now we're currently in active development on a TV version of that. Uh, so we are currently shopping now. We're meeting with all the big TV networks. Uh, we're in the midst of that right now. So, uh, and then the new season of the podcast is coming out in October. So that show has really taken off as well. And we're just hoping to get the green light from a network to move ahead with the TV version. 
when I was reading the uh, like the sort of plot to escaping Denver, I mean, now is it is it more of like a drama esque show? It's like I don't want to think that it's a comedy by any means. And then yeah. you know, I mean, the show is the show is fun tonally, mm-hmm. but it's 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 definitely a drama. It's two people trapped in this maze. They wake up, they don't know where they are, so it's a bit of a mystery thriller. Okay, there is some there's some fun moments in the show just in terms of like the relationship between the main guy and the, and the main girl and I, and I voice the main guy Noah um but it's I wouldn't say it's comedy yet. definitely more of a yeah. drama thriller mystery yeah want to make sure before yeah. you know uh, but like the the thought of that because it's starting off as like you know a podcast series and to me like you don't really have a lot of that where you know like you'll have a plethora of different tv shows so like it's definitely a very intriguing I don't want to say an intriguing way to start yeah. a series like that and then to have it you know be transitioned into live action i mean it's really quite interesting to see this develop yeah i think fiction podcasts i mean radio plays were very popular many years ago mm-hmm. uh, you know you, you think of like war of the worlds and all that stuff yeah. back in the day but they i think they went out of sort of popularity for a while now they're kind of coming back and it also it's a great way to test concepts for television uh, and see if they can grow an audience because shooting a TV pilot or greenlighting a TV show for a network is millions and millions of dollars, right? So if you can test a, a project on, for example, as a audio drama or fiction podcast and grow an audience, which we have done, then maybe you can translate that to, to television and it's cost you significantly less than shooting a pilot. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, we'll talk about boom right away but i mean with your background your history because you know you started off in wrestling made the transition to acting so i mean you did have the you know uh the previous history before you know like with the theater and stuff like that but when you see people getting into wrestling now i mean like if they come to you with advice are you offering up being like hey you should try acting classes, anything like that to help them more because I mean, you can learn the stuff in the ring, but sometimes some like a class might be able to bring out more personality, maybe help develop a character. Is that something you yeah. suggest or is it not really in that vein? Oh, I, I would suggest it to everyone, even, yeah. even just for the like public speaking aspect even, right? Because a lot of people like public speaking is sort of a nerve wracking thing, right? And so when you're going to get on the microphone in front of a crowd of people, I mean, I think just breaking those nerves or walls down, even if you're not, even if your intention is not not to be an actor, I think acting classes can really help if you are going to be a professional wrestler, because there is such an element of that. I'm always sort of blown away um, when, I mean, most wrestling schools do not really do any character development or promo day or anything like that. We did that at Lance's school. We would do, you know, a few times uh, each semester, we would do a, a full day of promos where basically you're encouraged to come in and dress in your gimmick. If you've got one and mm-hmm. you get to cut promos and we record them and then we sit down and we critique them and stuff like that. And I think that it's surprising to me that more wrestling schools don't do that. I always ask if wrestling schools do that. And most of them don't, I think all the wrestling schools or most of the wrestling schools now are they're They're really good at teaching people the moves and the drills and all that stuff. But there's such a huge element of wrestling that is acting and speaking and character work. Like if you watch WWE, AEW impact, any wrestling company that you're going to aspire to go work for, 
besides maybe like a new Japan or something like that, you're going to be doing like backstage vignettes and promo work. I mean, watch like watch an episode of raw, right? It's how much talking is. There's probably more talking on raw than there is wrestling. Mm -hmm. So why a wrestling school wouldn't do stuff to work on that is strange to me. It just to me feels like you're not well-rounded. Like when I went to like acting schools and stuff, you have all sorts of different classes, right? There's a scene study class. There's a vocal work class. There's movement classes. Like all of these aspects are important to creating a fleshed out, well-rounded character. So I think that it's super important for people to do that. I know I was talking to somebody recently here that's training at one of the schools and they told me they were also attending like an improv class and an acting mm -hmm. class. I was like, that's awesome. Like that's, you got to branch out because again, like even if your intention is not to be some wacky character, you're still going to need to talk and act and do backstage vignettes. And if, if that's something like I've, I've, I've had situations where I've said to wrestlers, Hey, I, you know, I want you to do like a promo after this segment. Oh, I, I don't do promos. I'm really not good at promos. I'm like this. And I'm like, well, I kind of want to push you to do it because <laughs> this is going to be important for you. If you ever want to wrestle on television, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that one of the things that boom does really well is gets people out of their comfort zone a little bit. Like, hey, we're putting you into a storyline. You're going to have to speak. You're going to have to play this. And I think that that's cool. We're, we're helping to prepare people to wrestle on TV, which some other companies um, don't necessarily do those other aspects, right? Mm -hmm. it, you can go into a school. You can take the classes and, you know, your in-ring work can be phenomenal you can do everything yeah. but like get up to do a promo and you could just have a, a blank face and not know what to do and sometimes be having to be forced to out of that comfort zone and you know to develop a character and to be able to you know present a storyline for him and all these sort of things like it can be very intimidating but so so beneficial in the long yeah. run if this is something you want to pursue well let's say like you get called in by wwe to come in for a tryout <laughs> hey, we've, we've seen your work. We've heard about you on the internet. We're going to bring you in for a tryout. Cool. Well, you know what, you know what a big part of the WWE tryouts is talking on the microphone, mm -hmm. right? And do you want your first time to be doing it when you go to the WWE tryout or do you want to be really practiced and experienced doing it? Right. You can cut promos in the mirror all day or whatever. And I think that's good practice too. You can video yourself doing promos, but I think it's also important to, if you get the chance, because Sometimes, you know, time is limited and we, you know, not at every show you're going to have chances to do promos and stuff. But if you get the chance or you have somebody ask you to do it, I think you should, you should do it because it's going to break the nerves down. Right. So then when you mm -hmm. get the chance to do it in front of someone that's could change your life with a job offer, you are ready to go and have more practice doing it. Right. Now with boom, did you ever think that you would be getting back into wrestling? Yeah, it's funny. Like, so when I got out of wrestling, I didn't. I wasn't like, oh, I quit wrestling. I've done wrestling mm -hmm. forever. I was just kind of like planning to take a break because I was frustrated with, I had had a sort of a string of, um, I'd worked for WWE for some short-term stuff, a string of things. And I had some frustrations with kind of how some of that had gone. I felt like I had um, done everything they had asked of me and still hadn't got that job offer and just wasn't going the way that I wanted it to go. And at that time, of course, there wasn't really any other options. There was no AEW that, you know, a lot of these other companies weren't paying enough money to live kind of thing. Right. So mm -hmm. 
And in, in Canada, it can be tough because geographically you're very far away from everything as well. So we don't have the same opportunities that, that uh, you may, if you live in a more populated area and, you know, there was no defy and all these other, you know, other companies, visas are always an issue of course as well. Yeah. So stuff like that. And um, you know, I was doing the movie stuff and the movie stuff was going well. And so I felt like, okay, like, you know, maybe I can put my energy fully into this because this, I feel like I'm getting more traction and this, I feel like I'm less frustrated with mm -hmm. this. And uh, I just wanted to take a break from the local scene uh, as well. I just had some frustrations there too. So I was like, I'm just gonna take a little break. And then that break sort of went on and on a little bit longer. And also I didn't really want to go back to the company that I was working for until some changes had happened. Um, so, you know, until that kind of happened, I wasn't gonna really come back anyway, right? Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, the pandemic happened and some stuff was going down with the local scene was changing a lot. The mm -hmm. main company here kind of shut down and there's some other people popping up. And I had, I had, I had had people over the years asking me like, Hey, do you want to come do the show? Do you want to come back? We'd like to have you blah, blah, blah. And it just hadn't felt like the right time. And, but then I was kind of getting the itch to do something. I ended up ha uh, having coffee with my old friend, ravenous Randy Myers, great mm -hmm. friend of mine, super talented guy. And, um, my friend, I'm good friends with Matt Cardona, uh, the former Zack Ryder, and he has a wrestling action figure podcast. And they had done this whole thing where they did, uh, he called it the Figure Wrestling Federation. And every week, him and Brian Myers would like book these like this like action figure federation. Anyway, it was very entertaining. And I told Randy, I said, I've always wanted to do like a wrestling booking podcast because wrestling booking has always fascinated me. And I always thought that it would be something that I would be good at. Mm -hmm. I used to travel to the uh, shows in Alberta mm -hmm. because at the time when I was training with Lance, he was also booking for this company in Alberta called PWA, the Prairie Wrestling Alliance that yeah. I was wrestling for. So Lance was booking there. And so I would travel, you know, from Calgary to Edmonton and back with Lance and sit in the car for hours and pick his brain about booking wrestling. And so I got to sit under the learning tree there for, you know, a couple of years with Lance and, and understand how to book wrestling properly. And so it was always something that I felt like I would be good at. And uh, so Randy and I did this 12 episode podcast, which was a lot of fun. And we drafted our own rosters of fantasy wrestling companies and, and booked these episodes. And Randy's friend, Max Mitchell, who's a comedy promoter in town, was listening to the show and he really liked it and he was launching boom pro wrestling so he was mm -hmm. you know i know you had max on the show and he was you know told the story about how he uh did a show to name his kid which is really great and then he was like got the wrestling bug and wanted to start a company and so one of the things that i think max did right and and i think one of the reasons there's many reasons why boom is successful but i think one of the things that max did right off the bat was to say like hey i need some help booking these shows yes. because I don't, I don't come from wrestling. Right. Which I think is a mistake. That's a lot of promoters make is they'll be like a wrestling fan for X amount of years. And they'll be like, Oh, I, I could run a wrestling company. I could book a wrestling show. No problem. Right. Mm -hmm. And they don't listen to any advice from like people that have been around and done it before. And so I think Max did that the right way and said, Hey, I need help with this. And so he brought Randy and I in to, um, sort of help with the creative side of things. And then that's when I was like, even in our first few conversations, I actually wasn't even sure I was going to wrestle for boom. I just thought like, I'll be a part of the creative and I'll just hang out and 
you know, if anybody wants to ask me advice, they can ask me yeah. if they don't, they don't, whatever. Um, but uh, then I was kind of get, yeah, I, you know, I kind of, amongst my conversations with Max, I ended up deciding to come back and I started, you know, working like with a trainer again and just getting back in shape and just like really took it seriously. And, and I was like, Oh, maybe I'll do the first three or four shows, um, you know, put over a young guy in my last match and get out of there. And, uh, but now it's, you know, I did the whole first season and had a lot of fun doing it. And hopefully, you know, I, I definitely got to do a few storylines where he elevated some younger talent and, uh, got to do some fun stuff. And now we're coming back for season two. Uh, I, I, two quick things I just want to mention. Uh, yep. Max, an absolute gem when he, because he had reached out to me to about the podcast. And yep. I've never heard someone say Grainmaker was with as much enthusiasm and fury as he did. Like he was right into it. So yeah. I will always remember that. And people have mentioned, they're like, he was excited to say that. And I was like, yeah, it's, it's great. I want he's everyone. He's your number one it. fan. Yeah. <laughs> um, that. And also th- when you mentioned booking, I think that's something like you go online and you see so much like armchair booking and I'll be guilty of it too. Like stuff that I would like to see happen. And then when you actually think about it, it'd be like, why would anyone do something like this when you actually like break it down? It's like, that would be terrible for business. Yeah. So well, it's kind of like I, I always think of things from the perspective of movies and stuff too, just because I've been producing film for a long mm-hmm. time too. It's like just because you've seen a hundred movies doesn't mean that you could sit down and write a screenplay. Like there's sort of a a certain uh, technique, there's certain, you know, things you need to know, there's certain beats you need to hit, there's a structure mm-hmm. of a screenplay. Well, and to me it's the same thing with wrestling. It's like a lot of people, they, they buy a wrestling ring and they rent a community center or whatever, and they bring in 15 local wrestlers and they just sort of put on matches. And, and that's fine. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. honestly, like I, I don't, I'm not throwing any shade at that either because a lot of like, I think it's great for the local wrestlers need to get as many reps as possible. And I think that the more wrestling that there is, the better, right? It brings the whole scene up. But what we do differently at Boom is we really craft stories that take place, you know, whether it's from the beginning to the mid season finale or right through the whole season. And we're, we like, we sit down and map the entire season. out. And when we mapped out the entire first season, if you saw what we had originally planned versus what actually happened in the end, it's quite different because indie wrestling, it is much harder to book than television wrestling because we don't have people under contract. We don't have, you know, like there's all sorts of issues, right? Like, Oh, some company in the U S wants to bring this guy in for the weekend. So of course he's going to go down and, you know, if, if there's a bigger company, that's a higher profile, of course, like they're, they're going to go do that. Right. Or people get injured or uh, there's all sorts of stuff that happens. So you have to be able to think on the fly, but I think that it's just, there's a real art to, I mean, there's an art to pro wrestling just in the ring, but there is also an art to booking a wrestling show. And I think that if you don't, if you haven't spent many years deep in the uh, in the weeds, then you know just throwing together a wrestling show is not the same thing as booking a you know, season long wrestling arc. 
Was that the biggest issue with the booking for the season long was, you know, not having, you know, people under a contract, so to say, and, you know, possibly losing dates with them going elsewhere, which, you know, understandably, you know, for uh, opportunities and that, but was, do you feel like that was the biggest uh, sort of struggle with it? I think that that was a challenge for sure. Yeah. But I would actually say that I think when I think about what we originally had planned for the season, not, not that it wasn't good, but I actually think that we ended up with stuff that was better. Because mm-hmm. when somebody pulls out, let's say you lose someone that's going to be in your main event for the next three shows. You're like, oh my God, I have to like rejig everything, right? Because mm-hmm. you can't just, it's not like you just lose this person. So you just slot someone else in there. You almost always have to move like a whole bunch of stuff. It's like a puzzle, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, now this person is here. So this person has to move here. And I got to bring this person in to wrestle this person. Oh, this person's not available. This person has, it's like you have to book. Because there's also a lot of wrestling companies in this area. Mm-hmm. in Vancouver, in Seattle, in Oregon, in Alberta. And so even getting talent to be committed for the next three, four, five shows can be difficult because, oh, I have a show in Edmonton that day. I have a mm-hmm. show in Portland that day, right? So that stuff can be hard too because you're trying, we're trying to book long-term storylines and uh, having people commit to an indie show six months out can be difficult too. But I think that those challenges are good because it actually makes you think even harder, right? So yeah, it's not always ideal. It's not always exactly what we wanted. But I think overall, if you look at the key storylines from season one, the fact that we pulled off what we pulled off, I think is pretty incredible and a testament to the to the creative team and the, just the whole team behind the shows. Like it's pretty incredible. Um. Uh, I just lost my train. I thought there for a second. Okay, uh, yeah, I, I started thinking more and more just because like there were so many different things that you had mentioned. And then I'm like, okay, what about this, 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 was there anyone that really surprised you throughout season one, you know, whether it's their performance, whether it's what they were bringing to bringing to boom, but that really stood out to you. Great question. I don't know if anyone, necessarily surprised me because I think I had really uh, I I regard a lot of the talent here really highly. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure any, I was like, you know, I mean, a lot of people are talking about this young guy, Casey Ferreira. He's fantastic. Mm -hmm. I think he surprised me a little bit in the sense of like, wow, this guy really got over based on just his natural ability. Like he's got a real natural kind of charisma and and ability. And um, I think he's going to be fantastic. Um, but man, I mean, our, our roster is so solid. Like, and I think that some people think maybe if they haven't been to a boom show or they just heard about boom, I think some people think that it's like a comedy promotion or something like that. And that's mm-hmm. just, if you went to a show and saw it, you would uh, know that that is not the case. Like we do some storylines that are a little bit over the top for sure. I'm sure you've probably seen some stuff on our social mm-hmm. media. We have a time machine. We have a guy wrestling as Abraham Lincoln. We have Max's real mom, Susan, is a character on our shows, and she has been revealed as the legitimate mother of golden boy Travis Williams. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, of course, we have some ridiculous elements, but the show is actually um, really well-crafted in the sense that there's a lot of drama, there's emotional stakes, but the wrestling is also really good. So, you know, Travis Williams and, like, Judas Icarus and um, – Tony Baroni and like just all these fantastic wrestlers on the show. So we want the quality of wrestling to be really high too. So I wouldn't say anyone necessarily surprised me. I think just everyone, like I was like uh, happy with 
everyone just always brought their A game. And that's what made the show so great. Did you notice from, you know, people involved, you know, because doing a like sort of a season aspect is a very different than what a lot of promotions are doing because you'll see the promotions, they'll run year round. Almost everyone. Yeah. Almost everyone. I, 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 I've been in the in you know in and around the industry for twenty years, and I, I've never seen anyone attempt this on an independent level. No, what what was the reaction like from you know people involved with that? Because it is a lot different, and it, I mean it does free up more time for them. You know, come summertime, because you know it, it is tougher to get people to go to a wrestling show come July and August. That yep. many promotions can attest. But the overall uh, thoughts on that is it something that people really seemed into? Yeah. So I would say so. I think there's a few things on that. So. Mm-hmm. stepping away from wrestling for four or five years, I think was really good for me uh, in the sense that I left what I call the wrestling bubble. Uh, when you were in the wrestling bubble, you sort of, which a lot of people involved in independent wrestling are, you know, mm-hmm. and I can say that because I was too, when I was like fully, you know, I was doing shows every weekend, like all your friends are wrestlers. You're just thinking about wrestling all the time. You're, you're living in that world and you lose touch sometimes a little bit with like what the, casual person may be into right so when i left wrestling it allowed me to see like oh man like you know people would find out i was a wrestler at work or whatever i live right downtown so um you know they'd be like oh i'd love to go see like a wrestling show but they're not wrestling fans and i always knew that like i'm not sure that these people would like the average indie wrestling show Mm -hmm. uh because there's not enough story there's not enough production value there's not enough character it's just too like a lot of the independent wrestling companies that exist in the world uh, are more catered to hardcore wrestling fans right yeah like here's two dudes in trunks and they're gonna german suplex each other for 15 minutes and like (laughs) and honestly and again like i'm not i'm not knocking that like i know watching ring of honor and like new japan pro wrestling like i genuinely enjoy that kind of wrestling but I also know that the average person is not going to enjoy that kind of wrestling. Like I would bring my wife to wrestling shows that I was wrestling on and she was just like, Oh, like, it's just not for her. It's just not, mm-hmm. she's just not into it. Right. Um, but she loves boom and she brings all her friends to boom. So I knew that if we could capture that audience and I think that Max had the same thought process coming from a comedy background, it's like he knew that there was like something to wrestling that people that are not wrestling fans will enjoy Mm-hmm. And so we were able to capture that, right? And a big part of that is the storylines. A big part of that is the fact that we are pretty tongue-in-cheek, right? We don't take it too seriously. Mm-hmm. There's still a lot of drama around the championship and the storylines and all that stuff. Like, even I'll use, for example, like, my character, Brady Malibu, is this sort of douchebag, swimsuit model, you know, evil lifeguard. And, you know, I'm feuding with Abraham Lincoln, <laughs> who came out of a time machine yeah. like but if you watch the matches and the promos there's some funny lines in the promos and stuff but the actually the matches and the the feud is actually serious yeah like and i think that it actually works because we are we both play it so straight like it, it, it's like if you took all that other shit away take away the, the over-the-top characters and the time machine and like it would be like a serious wrestling feud, mm-hmm. right? It just happens to be between two characters that are way over the top. And so the average person is like, oh my God, this is so ridiculous. Like Abraham Lincoln is like, you know, 
anyway, it's, it's, it's <laughs> up, but, but it works. And so now we have all these people that come to the shows and I would, I'd estimate at least 75% of our audience is not your typical wrestling fan. Like, and I know because at, even at my gym and stuff, it's like people are coming up to me every day. Like, Oh my God, love the last boom. You know, they're talking to me about like Parm Singh man's storyline arc or like Susan revealing Travis as her kid. But I know for a fact, these people that are telling me this stuff would never watch WWE on TV. They would never buy a ticket to another indie wrestling show. They don't even know other indie wrestling exists. When I tell them that, they're like not interested. They they own they're they're boom fans. Yes. So that is kind of amazing, right? Because mm-hmm. we have created our own universe of fans that are now we we put season tickets on sale for season two and sold them out. Mm-hmm. So like there's something special there that other companies have not been able to capture. And I would always bring up to wrestling promoters in Alberta, BC, wherever I was wrestling, like, Hey, we should do more stories. We should do more promos. We should do more character work. We should do more this, this. And I was always like, no, that, that would never work on an independent level. That, that wouldn't work. And it, you, you just sort of get frustrated with like, man, this could be so much bigger. Like, Hey, why don't we get like a couple of lights or something? Yeah. Why don't we like set up like a smoke machine or something like, no, just, no, 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 no. And it's just like, man, those little things, like when people go to a show, they, they want to feel like they're, they're getting their money's worth. They don't want to just sit in a brightly lit community center with, with you know, a, a wrestling ring and just watch two guys wrestle. Like, again, that's not appealing to the average person. So we needed mm-hmm. to create something. And we have a tech guy, Lane Small, who's fantastic. He does all the lighting and stuff. And he's done such a great job in just making that environment look really cool. You, you need to be able to invest back in your product because that's the only yeah. way you're going to be able to take it to the next level. You know, like, yeah, you can run in that community center with the lights on and everything, but you're only going to have a select, you yeah. know, fan base that'll go to watch something like that. But as soon as you start putting more money into lighting, putting more money into production, things that sometimes get overlooked when it comes to putting on a wrestling show, those yep. little things can add up after a while and really make your product seem something special. There's a promotion here, WPW, which it's very much akin to Boom in the sense where the, the shows sell out as soon as they're announced in intermission. Right. They'll sell nice. 300 tickets in 20 minutes. Yep. But if you ask, I'd say 90% of those people, hey, are you going to go to this other show tomorrow night? They're going to say no because they don't even know about it. They yeah. like the product that's being presented in that sense. So yeah. that that really says something in the same way that Boom does, that you have a product that is capturing these new fans and introducing them to something that they would never have ever thought of before. Big time, yeah. And I think that wrestling, just in general, like it's hard to bring new fans into wrestling because mm-hmm. the there's a high barrier of entry, right? When you talk about pro wrestling, it's like, oh my God, like there's... I'm going to have to learn 400 wrestlers and Mm -hmm. all these different companies. And there's all this wrestling on TV. Even if you just said like, okay, I'm only going to watch WWE. Well, WWE has like three hours on Monday night, two hours on Friday night, Mm -hmm. you know, another four hours on pay-per-view weekend. Like it's kind of a big investment of time to do that. Right. So building new wrestling fans is very difficult. And I think that one of the benefits of us only doing nine or 10 shows per season and then taking a break it's also cool because like people don't feel like it's too much of an investment. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to go once every four or five weeks on a Saturday night and go watch a boom show with my friends. And I'm going to drink $4 beers and I'm gonna have a blast. And it's like, doesn't take itself seriously. Vancouver also has kind of like a, a reputation. Everyone calls it no fun city, right? We have a reputation for like not having great 
nightlife, not enough. There's nothing to do downtown Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Everyone, everyone always says, right. We have like, you know, it was like one nightclub and it's like, there's, there is honestly like not enough stuff to do. So boom. Um, and I think actually, uh, we just shot the, we just shot a photo shoot for this Vancouver magazine. They're doing a story. Uh, and I, th- I what, what's it called? It's like, I don't know, all fun city or I don't know. They're doing some kind of article about the like top five, like most fun things to do in Vancouver. And, and boom is one of the five and we did a photo nice. shoot with them and stuff. So, but it, cause we're trying to break that mold, right? There is things to do in Vancouver and maybe we are one of those fun things to do. But I think that other wrestling companies, and I'm not talking about anyone specifically, this is just worldwide in general. Uh, and there are some that are doing really cool stuff. Like I really love WrestleCore. Uh, mm-hmm. Steve, you know, Cobra Kai does his WrestleCore. Same thing. They do sort of themed, like they'll do like a horror show. They'll do like a, uh, what do they just do? Like an Alice in Wonderland show. Like stuff yes. like that appeals to people that are not wrestling fans. Again, if you just put on a wrestling show, here's my 15 wrestlers and they're going to go out and just wrestle each other. And there's not much story. There's not much character development. That that appeals only to a really small uh, audience of people. So if that's what all you care about, then that's fine. Like that's mm-hmm. that's cool. Like again, I, I would watch those shows. But yeah. uh, you know, I'm in the minority, right? Um, so we're trying to grow what that audience can be. When you had mentioned earlier about you know two guys going out and German suplexing each other for 15 minutes, it made me think back of like sometimes people ask like if you were to introduce a new fan to wrestling, what's one match you would show them? And you have people always being like, oh, I'd show them Omega Okada and this and that. Yeah. I'm thinking like you got to introduce them to something that is going to capture yeah. them right away. Like exactly save the hour long seven star matches for down the road. Yeah. You have to get these fans invested. Off well, even like. uh even like man like for example like i've heard Meltzer and some other reporters say like oh you should show if 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 you want to show someone wrestling for the first time you should show them lucha libre Mm -hmm. and i think that there is something to that because it's more theatrical and but i have friends that you know when you go to mexico on vacation or something i have a ton of friends that have been to mexico on vacation they've gone to see like a lucha show Cause there's like arena Mexico and all stuff down there mm-hmm. or, you know, there's Lucha shows in the streets all the time there. There's so much Lucha there. And friends will always say, Oh, that was so cool. I went to this Lucha show when I was in Mexico. And I, I always say to them like, yeah, that's cool. Like, would you go back? No, I wouldn't go back. Mm-hmm. It was like, I saw it one time. It was like, and like, even like um, I had a match on a couple months ago and I won't even bother saying who, cause like, it, it was an, a, it was, it was an AEW, but it was kind of a, I guess what you would say, like a spot fest kind of match. These guys yep. were doing all sorts of flips and stuff. And my wife was kind of like sitting there for like five minutes watching this. And she goes like, she's like, this is terrible. It's just like, looks like Cirque du Soleil. Right. And for the wrestling fan, for a wrestling fan, the guys that were in this match are very highly regarded. And like, mm-hmm. I, I would say like, you know, they are fantastic at the type of wrestling that they do. But again, even that more high spot flip style of wrestling, this average person my wife uh she's above average looking for sure but she's not a you know she's not a wrestling fan uh (laughs) i shouldn't call my wife an average person but you know what i mean she's a she's not a wrestling fan she watches this and she goes like oh it just looks so fake it's so funny Mm -hmm. because it looks like a choreographed routine yeah so even that can be a turnoff for people that are not wrestling fans because wrestling fans will justify they'll be like oh it's fine like it's just wrestling so i it Mm -hmm. doesn't have to look real right um so I think when you show them something like it has to be something that's the, the looks of the characters has to pull them in. The atmosphere has to pull them in. The story has to pull them in and they have to, the big thing to me is that they have to want to come back 
-hmm. because yes, maybe you attract a casual person to come watch your indie wrestling show one time, but are they actually going to come back? I used to have this in Alberta all the time. I would always bring people, I I work in fitness uh, as well. Right. So I'd always bring people like from my gym and stuff. Oh, come check out a show that I'm working on in Calgary or whatever. And I'd see them Monday morning at the gym. Oh, did you have fun? Yeah, I had, I had fun, man. That was awesome. That was like pretty, you know, athletic. That was cool. Cool. Are you going to come back to the next show? Probably not. Like mm-hmm. what, what's going to bring that? But at Boom, I mean, I have a whole, they call it the Malibu section. I have like a whole section of fans <laughs> yeah. that sits in this one area. You'll see them in this in the social media videos. That's how they point them out sometimes. But these people, again, like they are not wrestling fans at all. But they come back to, they have their tickets bought like six weeks in advance to come back to boom. And they got signs and they got all this, you know, but it's because we are presenting them something where they have to come back. There's always a cliffhanger at the end of the show. There's always like angles that are progressing. Right. Mm -hmm. And we're announcing matches for the next show. Okay. We're leading to this gimmick match or whatever. That's how you, you know, you need to get people to turn the page to the next chapter in your book. Right. And you have to do that with thoughtful, long-term stories yes um i wanted to bring it up only because i rewatched it before we were chatting today and the the match between the entourage and abe lincoln and yeah. everything about that i absolutely love because you know yeah. you have the malibu section there and it's funny because a, a friend of mine is sitting in there but he's not part of the section so we have everyone Amazing. cheering wildly around him and he's just like yeah Awesome. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, like the ten percent of the audience that just loves me, and yeah. the other ninety percent just despises me. It's awesome. Like, yeah, I'm watching him. Like, yeah, he's, he's like all these fans, and then you like get past action. Everyone's like, not a chance. No, nope. you're not like this guy. Hate like, that guy. Yeah, but it's fun because it creates actually some dueling chants too, right? Mm-hmm. Because that section will start. They'll chant Malibu loudly, and then the other side will chant back at them, whatever, for my opponent or, you know, anti-Malibu. They'll bring anti-Malibu signs. So it creates this, like, back and forth with the audience, which just makes the audience even louder. Well, never would I have imagined that in a match you would hear the Star Spangled Banner being recited as a way to, like, pump up the the wrestler. But you had it in the match. Like, that is... What a moment, yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. Like, such an organic moment and so cool, too, that just so funny that it was like that was Canada day weekend mm-hmm. in Vancouver. And it was like 40 degrees in that building. It was so freaking hot. It was deadly. And you have Abraham Lincoln is the good guy wrestling this uh, evil swimsuit model from orange County, California on Canada day in Vancouver. And the whole crowd is singing the national anthem of the United States. I didn't even know they knew all the words. To the <laughs> they do it's pretty impressive but like stuff like that you're just like man like this is the stuff where you know you're in the ring and you you know you, you turn to your opponent and you just say like we got him man like this mm-hmm. is the stuff where like that you ha- when you have the crowd in the palm of your hand like that it's kind of amazing right and it, that takes uh it takes skill from the performers and it also takes the time and emotional investment from the audience like we built that story from when we started building that at the beginning of march Right. Mm-hmm. And that was the end of June. So we built it over, you know, three or four shows and some different twists and turns. And people wanted to see me go in the time machine and um, they didn't get it. No, not at all. So now we got to see where this goes in season two. 
but what we did get during the match was you riding Abraham Lincoln with his top hat like a surfboard, and that's Absolutely. that's tops in my book. That was great. That's magical too. I think the loudest part of that match was when he bent me over his knee and started spanking me. <laughs> I, I wasn't going to bring it roof up. But... Was, yeah, the roof was going <laughs> to blow off the place when that happened. Yeah. Uh, heading into season two, I mean, it was announced up on social media about the um, sort of partnership with, I want to try to get the name right, Kyushu Pro. Kyushu, yeah. Kyushu, Kyushu Pro. Yeah, how, right. how, how does something like this come to be without, you know, giving away too many secrets? Yeah, so that was just just through my relationship with Tajiri. So like okay. I said, so I, I wrestled for Tajiri at Smash. Uh, we have stayed in contact over the years. Uh, a lot of mutual respect there. And um, Tajiri moved from all Japan over to Kyushu and I reached out and said, Hey, what's going on? We should chat. And we had a long chat about it. And he was uh, very impressed with what we were doing at boom. I always send him the boom videos and stuff as well. And uh, he does not, he's not an owner at Kyushu, but he's running the training camp there and is, you know, kind of one of their main guys. So he put me in touch with the owner there and uh, we've been chatting for probably six months or so. We are just trying to kind of, but, you know, right now, like, essentially, I would say it's, uh, you know, I'm calling it a cooperative. It's sort of a friendship of like, hey, you can kind of promote some of our stuff. We'll sort of mm-hmm. promote some of your stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, they're in Japan. We're in Vancouver. Yeah. Neither company is really big enough to, um, you know, tour the other place or something, mm-hmm. just given the cost associated with that. Uh, we're not at a point right now yet where we would be doing any sort of talent exchange or anything. But that, that's certainly one of the ideas I would like to do down the road. It's like, hey, how can we take some of this great young talent that's in boom wrestling and get them some opportunities over there or vice versa, you know, because Kyushu does uh, sort of similar, you know, they do a lot of comedy stuff as well as, as as do we. And so I think that it was like a nice partnership between kind of two companies that are um, on the rise and doing a similar style of, of wrestling. And Tajiri really likes that sort of storyline wrestling. He did that with Smash Wrestling as well, which is really cool. It was very different than some of the other companies that were over there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, right now it's just a friendship and hopefully can grow into being something bigger. Mm-hmm. No, that's exciting. And especially for independent wrestling to have sort of that uh, cooperative going on, like it, it leads to so many possibilities down the road. Like obviously things have to fall into place, but it's still, it's something really bright to look forward to. Yeah. And that's again, just another thing that's like over the years, I've always thought like, why don't people do stuff like this? Right. Mm-hmm. And and maybe they just either they hadn't thought of it or maybe people just didn't have the relationships to do that kind of stuff. But if, for me, it's like, if I have the real types of relationships to do that, um, I would like to do that because I'd like to, uh, you know, make this journey of wrestling I've had worthwhile in the end. And a big part of that for me is like elevating younger talent and making sure that, you know, people have opportunities and, you know, I've got a lot of relationships in the TV and film industry and stuff, and I've tried to uh, leverage and I'm trying to leverage some of those for some of the stuff we're doing as well. So, you know, hopefully this won't be the, the only thing I can bring to Boom. I'm hoping mm-hmm. there's lots of other cool ideas that I have that can come to fruition too. Now, I'll let you go right away. But before we yeah, go, sure. I always like to get a match recommendation. So normally I say a match recommendation, one you would want the listeners to go check out and watch, yeah. you know, just one you're a fan of. But I'm going to say one that you would show someone to introduce them to wrestling, because I want to oh. just change it up a little bit and kind of see where, you know, like something you would throw out there. Oh, man, great question. Um, a match... Not one of my matches, like just a match in general. Just a match. A match in general. That's a great question, man. You know, I'm a big fan of like 
early 2000s, like WWE, like I really liked, I thought the roster was just amazing at that time. Like I loved the stuff with like, even like Kurt Angle and Shawn Michaels, for, mm-hmm. for example, like that match they had at WrestleMania <clears throat> as well, because I thought that the story there made so much sense with kind of the sports entertainer and the more pure sort of wrestler. But also when I watch wrestling from that era, it, it looks more realistic to me. The, mm-hmm. the striking and the throws and the physiques and all that, all that stuff looked a lot more realistic. So I would show someone something like that. Kurt Angle mm-hmm. versus Eddie Guerrero from WrestleMania. I love yes. Shawn Michaels and Kurt Angle. Like any, like I think Rey Mysterio is just fantastic too. Like, you know, he does a lot of flying stuff too, but he makes it look realistic. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that he does it's almost like he's like evading people flipping around the way that he does it. Mm-hmm. Um, so talents like that, Jericho and Shawn Michaels, like stuff like that. I think I would show people and say like, Hey, this is what, this is like what I think wrestling, you know, might've, might've even peaked at. Right. The, the Kurt Angle, Ray Mysterio match, I think it's from SummerSlam. Oh, yeah. SummerSlam. Amazing. That whole, that yeah. whole SummerSlam is amazing actually, but that yeah. Ray Mysterio, Kurt Angle, same thing that like, yeah. that's like, cause it's like Ray Mysterio flipping around trying to escape Kurt Angle. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like everything Kurt does is like, I'm such a huge fan of, of his work. Like just, it looks so real. And I mean, he is a real you know, yeah. Olympic wrestler. Like, <laughs> I, but at the same time, it's just like, I think that this, sometimes we, when we, because today's wrestling is more choreographed mm-hmm. uh, and, and you know, people can have varying opinions uh, on that, but it does when, when you are doing a long choreographed sequence, uh, it, it does start to look, less realistic because the stuff in between may not be as uh, intense, right? Mm-hmm. We lose a little bit of that sometimes. And so I think when I watch wrestling from that time period, I'm like, Oh my God, like if you watch Shawn Michaels from the nineties, it's like everything this dude does looks incredible, right? Mm-hmm. There's so much intensity, Mr. Perfect, like guys like that. I'm just like, man, I watch that stuff. Like versus uh, guys of today, sometimes, you know, not everybody, of course there's guys that are really good at this stuff, but some guys of, of today, um, you know, their striking might not look as realistic or, or whatever, because they're often thinking, okay, what's the next spot I have to get to. Right? Yeah. And then that's just, uh, you know, kind of an evolution of wrestling. Like, uh, you know, we could sit and debate whether it's right or wrong or whatever. Um, but, um, you know, when I came up in wrestling, it was certainly a different time. And then, you know, that, that stuff, it, we were more focused on like the fundamentals versus, mm-hmm. you know, longer spots and stuff like that. Yeah, it's almost the because you'll hear people always say like, "Oh, you know, it's not you know Ric Flair that that's what wrestling mm-hmm. is, you know." But it's it's a constant progression, and wrestling sure. is always yeah, sure. always continually progressing, you know. And there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. It's just yeah. you know, different things will look more realistic or more feel different than others, and it's just it's just the way it is. And, and everybody, like I said earlier, like it is subjective too, right? Everyone mm-hmm. has different tastes. Like I, you know, it, I might want to watch New Japan Pro Wrestling all day, right? And other people mm-hmm. might want to watch like Chikara total comedy wrestling right yeah. and some people like lucha and some people like english style uh british style wrestling and like it, that's that's what's cool about wrestling and i think that's what's cool about wrestling today is we have access to all that stuff mm-hmm. right if you really like this one specific style of wrestling if you like deathmatch wrestling like for me not my thing at all right mm-hmm. but uh, if somebody likes that that's cool they can yeah, watch that all day right go for it do do it so you know i don't i try not to uh, shit on anyone's uh, style of wrestling. No. That's cool. You know, I, I don't have to be into it, but if, if, you know, I'm wearing an FMW shirt, right? So like, you know, I still respect different styles of wrestling. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, like I, I'm not huge into deathmatch wrestling, but I went to my first no ring show, like deathmatch show, and like oh my God. for someone no who's ring, not, no ring, no ring. So for someone wow. who's not into deathmatch wrestling, but being there live, like I was right into it. Like wow, you know, we need more light tubes. We need everything. Get it all out here. Like I was like I was bloodthirsty, and then like to like cue it up on TV. I'm just like, man, that's not really my thing. Yeah. But. Yeah, not 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 for me, but you know, I appreciate. Uh, I think as long as people are, it's like the the thing about training, right? It's like I don't care where you got trained to wrestle, as long as you take it seriously and keep, mm-hmm. you know, as long as you're keeping your opponent safe and you're and taking the art form of wrestling seriously, and and you can take the art form of wrestling seriously and still do like comedy stuff too, mm-hmm. right? But you know, I think that you know, I respect everybody that gets in between those ropes because it is truly an extremely dangerous thing to do. Right. You can, I mean, people have died in the ring, right. People have mm-hmm. had, you know, been paralyzed and, and you can get injured on something super small in the ring. Right. I mean, most like often a lot of the injuries are not on the big high spots. They're on something really small and, yeah. you know, simple. Right. So um, we have to be safe and take care of each other. And, you know, Again, if uh, I don't have to like everyone's style of wrestling, but if, if we're taking care of each other and, and being safe and taking it seriously, then I respect anybody that gets in between the ropes. Now, season two of Boom is coming up shortly. Yep. When is that taking place? A chance for you to plug anything else, including social media. So here you go. For sure. Yeah. So September 16th is the first show for Boom season two. Boom season two, a quest for peace is what the season is called. I'm not sure we... There will be a lot of peace, but we are quest. We are on the quest for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so September 16th, that show is already sold out, of course. But if you know anything about Boom, you have to get your tickets like the day they come out because they will be sold out super fast. Uh, the season finale sold out in record time. Uh, after September 16th, we have a double header. October 27th is a Friday night and October 28th the Saturday night. So sometimes we are testing out. We did this in season one as well. We are testing out a Friday and Saturday night show. They are different shows on the Friday. uh, We are going to try to give some more opportunities to some of the younger talent. Some of the Mm -hmm. kids coming out of the wrestling school, still going to be some awesome, like, you know, main characters from our shows as well. But we are also trying to give more opportunities on those shows to some of the up and comers and, you know, test out some new characters, test out some new stuff. Um, So you don't need to go to both shows by any means. Uh, You know, the Saturdays are sort of our main line shows, but the Fridays, we're going to try some really interesting stuff and we have some fun stuff planned for this season. October 27th uh, is going to be really a very Halloween themed show. So I uh, highly recommend that one. I think it's going to be really entertaining. My One of my partners in crime, Sachin Sahel, he's an actor from the 100. He's uh, part of the entourage. He plays a great villain. He's kind of hosting that Halloween show because he's a Halloween maniac. So he's got some stuff up his sleeve. So I would not miss that Friday night show either. But October 28th is our next Saturday mainline show. Um, and then we're back in November and then we're off December, January, back February through until the season finale in June for season two. So, uh, boom pro wrestling, we got a website, we got Twitter, we got Instagram. So look that up, follow that. Um, and season two, man, I'm just, I'm stoked about, you know, again, I think we've just built such an incredible roster. Like we have, you know, Brady Malibu and the entourage, of course, uh, kind of one of our main heel groups. Uh, Malik Mello is a great part of that. I, I, I feel like he's really, um, been elevated a lot in boom, just working with us. And I'm really excited to see how he can kind of progress. Um, 
Ravenous Randy Myers, of course, will be back at some point as well. Uncle Daddy Tony Baroni has been trying to buy the commercial drive Legion and tear it down and turn it into some apartments and a vape shop. So that's a really fun storyline. <laughs> uh, we threw Abraham Lincoln into the time machine. Uh, Susan was revealed to be tra Travis Williams' mother, and she revealed that Abraham Lincoln is Travis Williams' father on the season finale. Travis and Susan have decided to go into the time machine to try to rescue Abraham Lincoln, who is currently shooting through space and time. I don't know. So, uh, <laughs> you know, we'll have to see how that progresses. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, of course, leaves the other two members of the time bandits, Shaolin Funk and Parm Singh Man, uh, on, you know, in Boom. So we're going to see how they react to the entourage throwing their mentor into the time machine. Uh, Kyle Fines continues his quest to take over Boom from Max Mitchell. He is such a great villain. He's got a little stable of his own right now, and he's super entertaining to, to watch. Uh, he still has Cat Power in jail. He had her jailed for assaulting him. So that feud continues uh, amongst a million other things. I could sit here all day and talk about all the great feuds and all the great talent. Uh, Evan Rivers just won the Golden Haunches, so he's guaranteed a title shot at any point that he wants. Mm-hmm. We have a tournament coming up as well. Uh, Nicole Matthews, Big Cat Scott Hansen, Casey Ferreira, Taryn from Accounting. Lots of great women on the shows. And yeah, if, if you if you want to look at, if you want to watch something that is completely different than any other indie wrestling show you've ever seen, and something that has stories that that you can uh, watch show to show, and and see some character development and see some of these characters and wrestlers like come out of their shell a bit, uh, I think you need to check out a Boom Show. I am very excited for season two to kick up shortly. Brady, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. And uh, my Instagram and Twitter is at Brady Malibu, at Brady Malibu, if anybody wants to follow me. Thank you so much to Brady. And thank you for checking out the podcast. I say it every time. I will always say it. I truly appreciate you taking time out of your, time out of your day to listen to me talk about wrestling. If it's your first time listening, you can find me up on all social medias. I won't go through all of them. Just search Grainmaker Wrestling Podcast. It's it's up there. Email GrainmakerPodcast at gmail.com. Up on all streaming platforms uh, for podcasts. And you can find me weekly, every Saturday, up on the Love Wrestling YouTube doing four exposure with my good friend Plugo as we take a look at the world of independent wrestling. It's a lot of fun. You should check it out. And you should check out all the other great stuff up on Love, Love Wrestling because there's so much great content on there. You don't want to miss out. Thanks again for checking out the podcast. We'll talk soon.